Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. For Samuel chapter 16, we'll begin reading with verse number 1. We're still in a We Want to Be series. What we want to be as a church, we're going to take it a step further today. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Saul was the first king of Israel. Since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled. When they met him, they asked, do you come in peace? And Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're grateful to you for the opportunity to worship you. We're grateful for who you are, and we're grateful for who you call us to be. I'm especially grateful for everyone who has chosen this morning to be in this worship service I'm grateful especially because uh, they weren't forced to come. They chose to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me to speak to us a message from you. Lord, as we pray, I pray for people in our church specifically who need a special dose, I believe, of your intervention. I pray for families who have lost loved ones lately. I pray for Andy Lawrence, who recently lost a son. 
I pray for Janice Hammock, who recently lost a mother. I pray, Lord, for uh, Phil Hennefield as he continues to go through cancer therapy. I pray for Jean Sheffield, Bonnie's mother, and ask you to be with Bonnie and Carrie as they and their family love and pray for and care for her mother. I pray for Janice Grace, for Mary Jo Bentley. Lord, I lift up Miss Marie Glish, who's in the final days of her life, and what a wonderful life they've been. I pray for Mike Sutherland's brother as they lost a young daughter in an automobile accident in the last few days. Lord, I pray for Kathy Hoggins' mother, Janet, as she gets ready for surgery, and I pray for Virginia Munn as she prepares for surgery. I pray for Rachel Kearns. I pray for Riley Peak. I pray for the ministries of our church. We're getting ready to move, Lord, in a few weeks. A great historic move for our church, and I pray that you'd make the transition seamless and problem-free. And Lord, I, I, I just want to claim the verse in your word where Paul said, Eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man what God has in store for those who love Him. And of course, he was talking about heaven, but I want to take it because I believe that that same verse is true for our move. I want to pray for our staff. And I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us to be the kind of church that thrives and that is a magnet drawing people. And Lord, as we'll see in this message, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a church that's real. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Raise your hand if you have heard of Monte Teo. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard of Monte Teo? Monte Teo. That's him on the left. Monte Teo from 2009 to 2012 was a star linebacker for the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. Uh, After he uh, left Notre Dame, he was drafted by the San Diego Chargers as a star linebacker. But that's not what he is best known for among those who know him. Back in 2009, he started a relationship with a lady whose name was Lene Kukua. That name should have given a lot away to Monty. One report said that he met her after one of the Notre Dame games and they just were, they just were there long enough with each other to exchange phone numbers. Uh, and he did exchange phone numbers with the lady whose picture's on the right, but her name is not Lene Kukue, it's something else. But Monty didn't know that, and so from that point on, for the next better part of three years, uh, he had a mostly online but sometimes telephone or texting conversation relationship with 
quote Lene Kukwe. Uh, that may seem weird to us. Uh, I, that's certainly foreign to me. Whenever I started dating Amanda, I wanted to see her. I mean, I wanted to hold her hand. I wanted to hear her speak. I wanted to uh, kiss her. I see some of y'all. That's about as far as you need to go right there. But I wanted, I wanted to hold her. I wanted to touch her. But Monty had a relationship with this lady online or text or by phone for the better part of three years. In the fall of 2012, as the uh, Fighting Irish for Notre Dame were preparing to play Michigan State, and Michigan State was heavily favored in the game, Monty got word that his grandmother, with whom he was very close, had unexpectedly died. And right after that, he received word that his girlfriend, Lene Kukue, who had been battling leukemia, had suffered, uh, had been in an automobile accident and was tragically killed. And so he goes to the Michigan State game, and the reports are, and he even says that he took all of his grief, which was overwhelming, and he funneled it into his uh, performance on the football field as a linebacker. And because of the performance, largely because of the performance that he played in that game, the uh, Notre Dame college team defeated Michigan State by 20 to 3. which is a good example of funneling grief, I suppose, except for the fact that while it is true that his grandmother died, that is very true, and that he was very close to her, it is not true that his girlfriend died. In fact, not only did she not die, she did not exist. It was a cruel hoax by a so-called friend of Monte Teo, who got another friend of his, who is this lady, who goes by another name, to act like, use her picture to act like she is the uh, girlfriend of Monty. But the conversations Monty is having on the telephone were not with her, but with this male so-called friend of his who disguised his voice as a female. Monty was so taken with this fictionalized girlfriend that at night he'd be talking to this quote girlfriend and he would keep his phone open until she stopped talking she stopped talking and then went to sleep and once he was sure she went to sleep then he would sign off on his phone the entire thing was fake for three years he had been carrying on a relationship with someone who was not real. I know, you're looking at me like, okay, what's the punchline? There is no punchline. It's real. That's what happened. And it brings me to what I want to talk about today, and that is that I hope, and I I hope you hope, that we want our church to be not fake, but authentic. I'm convinced This is just my own opinion here, but I'm convinced that the majority of people out in the world who might consider coming to any church, including a church like ours, are looking for one thing above all else. They are looking for people who are real. They're looking for people who have authenticity. They are genuine. 
They don't put up a false front, a false face. I believe that Jesus wants us to be authentic. You see, authentic people draw other people to themselves without even trying to. They just do. I mean, you know in your own life people that you've met who, when you saw them and you interacted with them, you knew you had the real McCoy there. They they were bona fide, authentic, uh, authentic people. On the other hand, people who put on a false face repel other people away from them. Nathaniel Hawthorne wrote about this at one time. He said this, quote, No one man can, for any considerable time, wear one face to himself and another to the multitude without finally getting bewildered as to which is the true one. God wants his followers to be authentic. And people out in the world, if they're willing to uh, consider a church to attend, a church to be a part of, they are looking for a church family that is authentic, that is real. This is a passage of scripture that is uh, uh, one of the most powerful passages in all the Old Testament. You have the first king, Saul. God had selected Saul to be king. He had anointed him, had Samuel the prophet anoint Saul. It's really an interesting uh, selection that God made because in Genesis chapters 49 and 50, Jacob, as he is blessing his sons, his 12 sons, he says with regard to his son Judah, he says the scepter, that is the king's scepter, will never depart from Judah. Meaning that the kingship in Israel and later Judah would never be held by anyone outside of the lineage of Judah. And so when the Israelites decided they wanted a king like all other nations and God, even though God was not in favor of this, he let them have what they wanted. Little sidebar, be careful. God will let you have what you want sometimes. He gave them a king, and guess what? This king Saul was not from the tribe of Judah. That should have been the first red flag to go off, but no red flags went off. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. Nothing wrong with the tribe of Benjamin, except no king was supposed to come from the tribe of Benjamin. The kings of Israel were supposed to come from the tribe of Judah. And over time, Saul decided that he didn't need anybody's help to be king. He didn't even need God's help. He, could, he was a self-made man, a self-made king, and he was strong enough, powerful enough, wise enough, knowledgeable enough, good enough to make himself successful. And so he started acting without God's leadership, and, and it resulted in God rejecting Saul from being king. And so God says to Samuel the prophet, he says, I've rejected Saul from being king. I want you to go to Bethlehem. There's a fellow there by the name of Jesse. He has some sons. I have anointed one of his sons to be the next king. You go there. And so uh, Samuel goes to Bethlehem. He finds Jesse. And he invites Jesse and his sons to a worship service, a sacrifice service. As it turns out, of Jesse's sons, uh, all of them come with the exception of one, the youngest, that Jesse was sure would have no need of being there. He left him out in the pasture tending his sheep. They get to the sacrifice and, 
And one by one, uh, Jesse's sons come before Samuel. The first one is Eliab. Now, Eliab looked like a bodybuilder professional athlete. I'm sure that the young man looked sculpted and cut. And every man wanted to be like Eliab. And every young girl wanted to date Eliab. I'm sure that was the case. And even Samuel, when he saw Eliab... Approaching him, he said, certainly the Lord's anointed stands before me. And God says, absolutely not. He is not the one. You are not to choose him. I don't look on the outside like you do. People look on the outward appearance, but I look on the heart. God looks beyond our facade to see what is real and what is real is on the inside. It's just that sometimes people let their inside come out and they're honest and genuine. Other times we tend to hide out what's inside so that what's on the outside is a fake version. God says, I've not chosen Eliab. Next was Abinadab. Hey, if you're not going to choose Eliab, got to be Abinadab. God says, nope, not him. Well, then let's bring up uh, Shammah. If it's not Eliab and Abinadab, it's got to be Shammah. Shammah comes up, the Lord says, no. And then all seven of the first seven of Jesse's boys come through, and none of them are chosen. And Samuel looks up, and there's nobody else in line. And he says to Jesse, hey, you don't have any other kids? You don't have any other sons? And he says, well, I've got one more. But he's the youngest. I mean, I, I wouldn't think you'd really, really want him. I mean, you know, he's, he's out there in the pasture. Well, go get him. Go get him, and we're not going to sit down until you retrieve him. Now, uh, just think about that. How long it would have taken for the, the, uh, whoever the courier was to leave that worship service, go out in the pasture at Bethlehem, in the, in the vicinity of Bethlehem, find David, Get him, bring him back. And, and Samuel said, you, you're all going to have to stand up the whole time until we bring David back. Some of you don't like standing already in these worship services. Can you imagine having to stand that long? They had to stand the whole time. Brought David in and God says, there is the one. Anoint him. He's the chosen. He's the real one. He is the the genuine article. He is the one who is authentic. He's the one I have chosen. God wants his people to be authentic. Now, to be authentic means to be genuine, to be real, to be the person that you claim to be. There are traits of authentic people. You know all of these. Authentic people walk the walk. What they say is what they mean. And they are consistent. They don't say one thing now and something else five minutes away. They are comfortable in their own skin, and so they never feel the need to put up a false front. They know, you know, where you stand with them in good times, and you know where you stand with them in bad times. They know that they are in no way perfect. They never pretend to be perfect. They don't put on an act or airs as though they are better than anyone else, and they are never pretentious. They are like the farmer in the overalls who's worth, who's worth uh, multiple millions, but nobody by looking at him would ever know it. They know their strengths, they acknowledge their weaknesses and they work on their flaws. 
An authentic person is a real person, a genuine person. And this is someone that most of us enjoy being around. In fact, there is good evidence that most people alive enjoy being around real people. It's what we crave. I uh, got a journalism degree in Georgia, graduated in 1983. One of the journalism classes that I took was an advertising class. They were talking about uh, successful companies and their advertising. One of the companies they held up was the Coca-Cola company. And I learned that the Coca-Cola company periodically will send out professional survey takers. And they, they question people with different questions that are designed basically to find out one single thing from the general public. What is it that you need in life? What is it that you are looking for? What is it that you crave in life? And of course, they don't use those exact questions. They they use questions that are designed to get honest answers out of people willing to take the surveys. And so from time to time, they do these surveys and whatever it is that they find that people want out of life, they then will insert Coke as that which people want. And so you remember, those of you who are old uh, as I am, uh, not too many decades ago, one of the most popular slogans from Coke is... It's the real thing, Coke. It was during the 60s. Our nation was at war with Vietnam. And for the first time in our history, we did not believe that our governmental leaders were telling us the truth. They were hiding something from us. And people started seeing that kind of falsehood, not only in government, but also in churches and in businesses and among civic leaders. And and there, there arose a huge skepticism in our world. And Coke found out through their surveyors that people were craving to find somebody real. And they said, hey, Coke is the real thing. They weren't really looking for Coke. It's just like during the recession, people were looking for happiness. So Coke comes out, they find out people are looking for happiness. They had to pay somebody to find that out. They come out and they said, open a Coke and open happiness. It's a real thing. People are still looking for something real. Now, second, being authentic starts with placing a high value on authenticity because God places a high value on authenticity. How do we know that? It's right here in this passage. God sends Samuel to interview eight different sons of Jesse. The first seven were the best candidates according to what the normal qualifications would be. David was was so not a what most people would consider a good qualified candidate that his dad left him out in the pasture. He was like in low single digits in the polls. But Samuel said, go get him. That's right. Go get him. And so David comes out. Why? Because God placed a value, a high value upon authenticity. Not what's on the outside, but what is found on the inside is what matters most to God. Now, authenticity requires that we know ourselves. How well do you know yourself? What are your values? What are your desires? What do you really believe? What is your personality? 
What are your imperfections and what are your strengths? And don't make out like all you have are imperfections and you don't have strengths. And don't make out like all you have are strengths and no imperfections. Because every one of us have a little bit of both. How about this? Fill in this blank. If people really knew me, they'd know this and fill in the blank. You may not want to tell everybody what you put in that blank, but I will tell you that whatever it is you put in that blank, if people really knew me, here's what they'd know. How well do you know yourself? You see, authenticity means first knowing something about yourself and knowing that God places a high value upon being authentic. Number four, being authentic requires the ability to discern between what is fake and what is real. An authentic person, a truly authentic person, is sincere, genuine, humble, believable, vulnerable, factual. They are reliable. They're transparent. They love a lot. They care a lot. They are real. They are truthful. They are faithful. So what is not authenticity? What what are the traits of someone who is not authentic? Someone who is not any of those. But I'll tell you something else. Being authentic is not the same as, well, that's just who I am. Are you just going to have to take me for what I am? That's the way I am. That's not authenticity. That's idiocy. Authenticity draws us to people. Idiocy and obnoxiousness repels us from people. If anything, our desire to be authentic, which ought to be based upon God's desire that we be authentic, should be all the more reason to rid ourselves of behaviors that others would find not true, not real. Being authentic means being who God has called, gifted, and enabled you to be. In David's case, God had called him to be a shepherd leader. In the New Testament, they would, use, they would call that uh, a servant leader. They seem to be a contradiction in terms. And yet, from the New Testament standpoint, and from the standpoint of the life of Jesus Christ, being a leader requires, first of all, that we learn to be a servant. In the minds of the New Testament writers, in the minds of Jesus Christ, in the minds of the Apostle Paul, in the mind of God, you cannot be, we cannot be leaders until we've learned to be servers. And David learned how to serve out there in that pasture. He learned how to fend for himself. He learned how to depend upon God when there was nobody else. He learned how to face obstacles much greater than he was because of his trust in God. He learned to enjoy nature. He he learned how to love sheep and therefore to love people. He learned how to sit in the quiet of God's creation, close his eyes and listen to the music that could only be created by God and then take that music later on and put words and melodies to it and put it on paper. And we have it in the book of Psalms. He learned so much because God gave him gifts and abilities and then he worked to fine tune those gifts and those abilities while he's out there working with those sheep. And those same gifts and abilities would be what would take this young man, this ruddy appearance man, from being a shepherd out in the field to a king in the throne of God. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, I did not come to you with flashy wisdom. I came to you 
knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What was Paul saying? I didn't come to you with a fake face. I came to you as just me. I came to you, I was, I was, reading, uh, I was reading Allie Braun's article this week. She, for those of you who, who don't know, Allie, of course, is one of our uh, college students here at our church, and she writes uh, periodical articles for a blog called unwritten.com. You ought to check it out. She's a student at Furman University. This week she came out with an article about Barbie dolls. It's quite good. And she said that she learned from Barbie dolls to be who you are. Be who you are. Go read it. Paul is saying, be who you are. David to Samuel was saying, be who you are. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its ability to flavor, it is therefore good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are not called to be fake salt. You are called to be the genuine thing. In the first service this morning, we had a children's sermon. We didn't have it in this service because uh, when we have something like a baptism or if we have uh, a baby dedication, we usually let that be uh, in, in the place of the children's sermon. But it had three jars of white stuff, white stuff. And I opened them up and I told the kids, I said, two of these jars contain genuine salt and one of these jars contains fake Salt. And we had, I don't know, six or seven kids up here, something like that. And so I asked him, I said, I said, I said, Timothy Patrick Richardson, which one do you think? He said, I think it's the middle one. And then there was a a, a Kyra Acock. Kyra said, I think it's the one on the right. One of the Luke kids looked and said, I think it's the one on the left. They totally disagreed with each other. I said, we definitely come from Baptist churches. We can't agree on anything. But the fact of the matter is, you can look at some things and know people can tell you that one of them is not real while the other two are real, and we can look at it, and unless we taste salt, it's difficult and even even sometimes impossible to know which one is real and which one is fake. Do you like fake? People are looking for what's real. People are looking for what's authentic. Now, I know I'm the pastor of Palmetto Baptist Church. I have been privileged and blessed to be the pastor of Palmetto Baptist Church for the last 15 years. Let me tell you something. When people come here, at the end of the service they leave, what I hope they'll say, among other things, is they'll say, well, I'll tell you one thing. Those folks are real. Let's be real. Let's live our lives in front of people so that when they leave here, they will say, not Coke, but Palmetto Baptist Church is the real thing. Let's pray. Our Father... You call us to authenticity. You call us to be real. You showed it to us when 
in this passage, and we could have used so many other passages, you rejected the powerful in preference for the poor. You rejected the haughty and selected the humble. You overlooked the arrogant. And you accepted the person whose heart was like yours. God, help us to look in the mirror today. And help us to see what you want us to see. People who are real. Help us not to go three years thinking that we're conversing with something that we're not. In Jesus' name. Amen.